0: What does the map of your journey look like? Always in progress, always unfolding, always having new waypoints and terrain added, new continents, islands, principalities, villages, oceans. It's a worthy question. Maybe it's one you try when the service is over today. Really, just go home, grab a piece of paper or something and and draw the map of your journey. I'm curious about one particular map of your journey, though, and Uh, since I'm a minister, it should come as no surprise I'm going to ask this question or think about this, the religious journey. It's one that could have the same hallmarks of what you heard in Victoria Safford's poem. Just like any journey in life, the religious journey has moments where you chose to be brave, where you forgave against your better judgment, were transformed, enlightened, the murky puddles aplenty before you, a sustaining rage and the joys of beauty what would the landmarks of conversion look like for you? Maybe the traditional sense of conversion, but also the moments where life unfolded in remarkable ways or something synthesized for you unexpectedly. Would there be several symbols on this map of your journey? Not really countries, but as close as you could get. I imagine in this congregation, as in many congregations across our country this morning, there'd be crosses aplenty their various designs, Orthodox crosses, Roman Catholic, Protestant, various denominational symbols with their own unique take on this symbol that is so familiar in our culture. They'd be there on that map, despite our desire for them sometimes to not be, all leading to this moment, a flickering chalice flame, perhaps several stops along the way, and perhaps more stops yet to come. What would the topography be on your journey if we keep this metaphor going? Mammoth mountain ranges, deep and wide canyons, hollers that mean home and hearth, flat plains, coursing rivers, waterfalls appearing out of nowhere, like in most adventure movies like Indiana Jones. Vast oceans, seas aplenty. Other points on this metaphorical map you might want to alter a bit, just a bit. Change the story, not really lie, perhaps leave some details left unsaid. What's on there that you would want to be rid of forever, even if you can't. I think this would be a wonderful religious exploration activity for every single one of us. Draw a map of your spiritual journey. Let's see those mountains and badlands. These are questions and ideas I feel Unitarian Universalists are especially well-suited to answer. We don't perhaps draw out our journeys every time we gather, but but these questions, this idea, this, this thought, these ponderings, these encouragements to continue the journey and take note are hardwired into our religious tradition. Our six sources lift up a variety of religious experiences from Jewish and Christian teachings to whom we owe our heritage to that of the several other world religious traditions to nature-inspired traditions, science and humanism, atheism, agnosticism, academia even, to simply being human and wondering. And let us not forget that right now, as we are gathered here in a unitarian universalist congregation that this tradition of ours is a source of inspiration too we are a source even if it is not outlined in our official sources yet and i find that funny that we have all these wonderful sources and yet we fail to name unitarian universalism as a distinct source and maybe it's because the writers of our original sources assumed we would just treat it as such right but still you would think it would be named. And I feel that's especially important to name. Sometimes Unitarian Universalism is seen as simply a religious smorgasbord, but no, we are a unique tradition with unique customs and a peculiar way of approaching religion. And yes, we readily cross over any threshold of revelation with curiosity. Even in naming it that way, Unitarian Universalism can often sound like a tradition that cherry-picks only what it likes for being spiritual and religious. Is that true? Are we cherry-pickers? Do we have something in common with fundamentalist traditions that cherry-pick from their holy books? I wonder... I remember uh, there's a memory from my early days of seminary where a professor asked us to describe our theology as we introduced ourselves. It It was probably my first year of seminary, and my answer was so boring. I had only one word in reply, Unitarian, period. Why was it boring, you might wonder? Because up until me, there were students listing off hodgepodge, mile long lists of mind boggling theologies thrown together. One I remember went something like this The student said, I'm a cosmic neo Platonist, new age, panentheist, process oriented, universal Catholic naturalist. Take a deep breath. Now, I wish I could have been that spicy, but no, I like my religion simple. Not simple-minded, just accessible and available. If you have a list that long, I'm not shaming you. And you'll see why later. And if you're someone with a one or two words to offer up like me, that's perfectly fine too. And if you have absolutely no idea what words to offer up, that's good. That's good too. I don't want to belabor the cherry-picking point too much. Because I feel Unitarian Universalism is entering a phase where it is stewarding the traditions it draws from with deep respect. At least I hope so. No longer will you find swaths of non Indigenous members co opting sacred tribal traditions. And I'm pretty sure our many mindfulness enthusiasts and Buddhists engage it with curiosity and intention. I think that last bit is what makes the difference here. Curiosity and intention and in the case of deeply rooted cultural practices i would add permission too so are we cherry pickers i I hope not our bedrock is unitarian universalism and we are invited to be inspired by the breadth of human religious experience if we choose to adopt practices we should do so with curiosity intention and permission that's something our sources leaves out again Maybe the writers assumed we would just do this. They offer a spread of choices, but leave out that necessary curiosity, intention, and permission. And I believe with those three, we can be true stewards of this unique path we are on. While that is an important digression, talking about this curiosity, intention, and permission, let's get back to the maps of the journey. What does my map look like, you might be wondering. I'm asking you to think about yours. Some of you know and have heard bits and pieces of mine. It's quite a full map. Religion is one of my great loves in life, and it has been for a long time. So naturally, the journey has plenty of visits along the way. Plenty of hills climbed, mountains ascended, and even with great trepidation, oceans explored. But always, always... I return to a few important destinations on that map. The journey circles around time and time again. Now, some of you might expect, you've heard me talk about this often, that the Bhagavad Gita or Vedanta would be on that list, but no, they're not. They're more like friends for the journey, companions that show up unexpectedly, welcoming hosts that invited me into the journey in the first place, who invited you onto your journey in the first place. But no, there's four things I return to again and again. Four intersecting land masses that meet at a particular point. Call it home, call it rest, renewal, the great wellspring of inspiration. And they are Christianity, religious naturalism, Buddhism, Unitarian Universalism. Despite all of the landmarks and particularities of my own religious journey, those are the four that stand out the most. Four that I love, each in their own way. They are the ones that made me the minister and person I am today, for better or for worse. The warm glow of the chalice light at the Unitarian Church of Hinsdale, where I found welcome, acceptance, and a deep tradition of heretics and rebels the beautiful rhythm of the Christian story and Roman Catholicism and Anglicanism that that invites me into mystery and gives me permission to be okay with mystery. The quiet of Zen Buddhism, the counted breaths, the moment of awakening, a moment like no other, taking vows, the wisdom of nature, of being in it, a part of it, and knowing deep down that yes, nature is enough. Those are, as Victoria Safford puts it, the landmarks of my conversion. There is pain in them. There is anger and joy and contentment, memories of absurdity, moments of transcendence, and I return to them again and again, imperfect as they all are, but wonderful. On that map of your religious journey, and at least I hope you're drawing it in your mind right now, just a bit, what are the places you return to again again? and again. Even if you're a lifelong Unitarian Universalist, our tradition has changed and grown so much in its history. Surely there are moments that long past that you hold on to that you return to again and again. Now, I think it's important we all map it out, that we give thought and intention to the journey we've been on. Why? Well, I know why it's important for me. It reminds me of what sustains me in times of uncertainty, And it gives shape to how I live my life. For many of us, taking a good look at where we come from could bring about healing. It could remind us the traditions we come from were not 100% terrible. That perhaps we are informed by things we didn't even expect. Or maybe it will remind us that we are right now, right now, on the path that we need to be at this point in our lives. I think if I were to go back to that seminary class, I'd still answer with one word, Unitarian, period. But I'd be tempted to say I was a Zen Roman naturalist Anglican Unitarian Universalist and to say it with pride and to mean it. And I'm sure it'd sound a bit odd, right? But I could say all of them with deep respect and intentionality because they're all integral to who I am. Theologian Paul Knitter, in his book, Without Buddha, I Could Not Be a Christian, talks about much of this. He outlines how his deep Buddhist practice that culminated in him eventually taking Buddhist vows makes him a better Christian. He describes how Buddhist concepts enrich his Christian beliefs. And he does it all with those three attributes we, we talked about, curiosity, intention, and permission. And he also names the elephant in the room. This is how he phrased it. He asks, am I being religiously promiscuous? Or is it true religious hybridity? In other words, can you be both Buddhist and Christian at the same time? Or are you co-opting one or the other? Now, of course, Knitter says you can be both. That's the point of his book. He pretty much says that he knows his defensiveness isn't fully satisfying, but that is not the point for him it's not about defending. It's about the journey. For Knitter, he talks about the Christian concept of, and many of you probably heard this growing up here in Kentucky, or if you've grown up in a Christian tradition, the concept of being in Christ. For him, it deepens his understanding, that concept of being in Christ of Buddha nature. Imagine that. What does that look like, right? He goes back and forth like this between Christian and Buddhist concepts and how they enrich one another. And he proudly declares himself a Buddhist Christian, Buddhist being the adjective. Now, this brings us back to our own journeys. I know at least one of you here who might say you're a Roman Catholic Unitarian Universalist. We have several Buddhist Unitarian Universalists, several pagan Unitarian Universalists, atheist Unitarian Universalists, and so on and so on. Can you be both? Can you be multitudes? Yes. But have you dug into what it means for you and what it means for your life journey? Digging deep into the meaning is what it's all about. Now, I can confidently say without Jesus of Nazareth, I couldn't be a Unitarian Universalist. Imagine that. Without Buddha, I could not be a religious naturalist. I look at the traditions that inform me the most and have dug deep into their meaning for my life. And what emerges is a mutuality, an interconnectedness that enriches my religious journey in indescribable ways. For our atheists in the room, how does your atheism inform your Unitarian Universalism? Or if you came from a Christian background, how does it inform your agnosticism, And so on and so on, right? The bigger point Knitter makes in his book is that religious hybridity is nothing new. Just look at the Abrahamic faiths and how they continually inform and build upon one another. And more importantly, every religious tradition, past, present, and emerging, asks important questions of us. This isn't about proving whether or not this or that miracle happened in this religious tradition. Absolutely not. It's about the way of life each religion offers. As always, I'm not talking about dangerous cults or fundamentalism. Instead, I'm talking about how Christianity invites me to ponder loving my neighbor, even the neighbor I don't want to love. Islam opens doorways to surrender, which is so difficult, probably because I and many of us grew up in America. We don't surrender. Judaism asks me to consider grand narratives reaching past, reaching deep into the past. The Dharmic religions say, pay attention. Neo-pagans display the power of ritual in our daily lives. And you can see how this is unfolding. Unitarian Universalism is unique in that it is both a distinct tradition, but it also equips us to draw those maps of our journey, to engage the journey as one of wonder and awe. And at the end of the day, we can return here to this place, this congregation to enrich each other with our lived experiences. The applications of this to our lives goes beyond the religious. It opens up pathways for us to live in tension, to not bottle up our identities in perfect little categories. And the healing I mentioned can in part become possible. Maybe just a bit. Now there's a critique of Unitarian Universalists that two critiques that I find troubling. First, we are the religion of no, right? Hi, I'm a Unitarian Universalist. I think you should come to church with me. We don't believe in any of that, right? That's enticing, right? And second, we are the walking wounded. There are grains of truth to each. As a proudly heretical tradition, we do reject any idolatry or fundamentalism of the heart and mind. And many of us also come from a harmful religious past. But it is not enough to be okay with just saying no to everything and not facilitating healing in our lives. Mapping our lives, our journeys, recognizing that it's all in process always, that it's never complete, is one small way, just a small way, that we can say yes to what is good and right in our past. And one small way we can recognize we've come a long way from a harmful past. Look at you, You're, you're here right now. Look how far we've all come. Healing is possible. That's my hope here. These landmarks of conversion, of our journey, can lead to life-giving journeys here in this congregation, abundantly, with wonder, with curiosity, and with intention. May it be so. Blessed be. Amen.